Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Uh, that's me. I, I'm saying that your host, Leo Flowers, like I'm not Leo Flowers. I'm Leo Flowers. Hey, well, how is it? How, I, how you doing? Like, like what's his name? Wendy Williams would say. Uh, but really, the question is, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Or what are you feeling? Are you feeling happy, exuberant, excited, sad, happy? joyful, exonerated, so many feelings, uh, uh, accomplished, focused, are you feeling like keyed in, like well, what, what, what are you feeling right now, and where are you feeling at, let's tap into that, um, you know, I started this podcast, and I think we're, we're approaching 200 episodes, we're fastly approaching 200 episodes, I'm so excited about the guests that uh, I have coming up, and the episodes that I got uh, in the queue, um, and I, I, it makes me think about why I started this podcast because I realize there's so many people out there who don't know how to take care of themselves uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, and and that's why I own this podcast. Even though it's a it's a suicide prevention podcast, we we have people on here talking about finances. And we have people talking about uh, working out and diet and nutrition. And because all these things, all these things matter. They all accumulate and add up to how we feel about ourselves, to how we move about in the world, to making us feel connected uh, in some way and, and, and feeling like we're less of a burden. And, and, and it's when we feel empowered physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually and financially and socially that that we feel like we're less of a burden and and we're not going to get we're not going to check all those boxes I get it but to find a box to find a, a place where we can fit I mean that's that's what'll help get you out of bed in the morning and and maybe it, one day it could be all those boxes but if we could start with one of those boxes uh, that's a beautiful thing and if you need help with that, you go to thrivewithleo.com and we can get you to tomorrow together. And this episode is, is going to help you with that. I have Liz Farrow, who is, uh, she's amazing, astonishing. Her story is incredible. Uh, I, I, I want to warn you that um, it, it, so many, there's a lot of, a lot of triggers in this episode. Her story is uh, uh, one of uh, childhood abuse, and uh, she had attempted suicide, and and we, we really dig deep into how she pulled herself out and what those minutes after were like, and, and usually, you know, we talk about, and I, and I want to preface this because in the media and in news, it, it could, they, to hear how someone attempted could be triggering. And I want to let you know she is going to share how she attempted. But the reason why I want to share this full story is because the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And I want you to make sure you're in a place where you're, you're listening to this with other people, where you can process this episode with other people. There's someone on the top of your mind that you can call if at any time during this episode you you feel triggered or activated uh, and you need someone to talk to, you can call the 1-800-SUICIDE number. I usually put this at the end, but I'm putting it up front. Have a number or a person that you can call or talk to if you've struggled with childhood sexual abuse, uh, and you've attempted before uh, before you listen to this episode because I, I really ask her to dig deep and go into detail about some things because the the process on how she made it through to the other side of uh, you know she's she gets married uh, she's still married has two two wonderful kids uh, she's run a marathon in all fifty states. In all fifty states, she's written a uh, she's written two books. She started a uh, 
uh, a nonprofit called Girls with Soul program uh, where she's giving back and helping girls and, and not girls, but children. Because boys, when we talk about sexual abuse, a lot of boys have experienced the same thing. Um, uh, she's really, uh, so she's developed this program to help them out. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to donate. I encourage you to to donate to these programs that, that touch your heart. That's a way, if you feel activated, like that's a way you can you can feel uh, some 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 generosity and 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 gratitude because her, her story for her to lay this story out there it, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. But so in this episode we talk about we, we talk about how she's thrived and how she's come out on the other side and uh, now she's done an Ironman five times. An Ironman five. Look, let that sink in for a second. She's been married for twenty years, right? And 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 that's valuable because when you hear where she started and 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 what what the roots were, uh, it's gonna it's powerful. It's really powerful. Um, and we talk about the the you know the the importance of changing your environment and lacing up for a lifetime of achievement. That's what this episode is about: lacing up for a lifetime of achievement. Her whole mission is about finding. Uh, wellness through fitness. Liz Farrow is an author who works include Finish Line Feeling and Girls with Soul, a girl power guide to unleashing your inner superhero. As a child, Liz experienced foster care and sexual abuse, but found solace in sports and fitness. The empowerment gained from sports led her to find the nonprofit organization Girls with Soul, which has received extensive national attention for its innovative and award program curriculum. You can go to girlswithsoul.org, which will be linked in the show notes. She has been featured on the NBC Today Show in Self, Runner's World, and Family Circle Magazine. To date, Liz has completed 76 marathons, two 50K ultras, five Ironman triathlons, and countless road races and triathlons. She has completed a 26.2 marathon in all 50 cities. Woo, I got chills. As well as on the Great Wall of China. With that said, let's get into the episode. So yeah, you're author of two books. One is Finish Line Feeling. And yeah. why I'm fascinated by that is because a lot of people haven't experienced the Finish Line Feeling. Right. They they don't know what it feels like to to cross the threshold of of completion of accomplishment. And so can you talk to us about what that book is and 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 what it what it resonate what it uh what was the the motivation for writing it? Oh my gosh. Well, I think the reason why I think you're right 100%. So many people don't know what that feeling is, but that's what makes it so spectacular. You know, when you do actually experience it, you're like, Oh, this is what it's about. Cause, um, obviously it has to be something really difficult. Otherwise it's not going to be super special, um, once you achieve it. So the book, I mean, wow. So many reasons why I wrote it. <laughs> um, one, because I really needed to tell my story. Um, I was in foster care when I was a kid and also sexually abused by a neighbor, um, and didn't get support as a kid, uh, for that abuse or from my mother who found out about it. And I think it was sort of my way of, um, owning my story, but also I wanted to own it in a way that was going to help other people because I think that there's a lot, oh my gosh, I know for a fact, there's a lot of people, adult, um, men and women, as well as kids who are in a situation where they've never given voice to their own story. They, they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, um, and this kind of gives them permission to do so and realize that they're not alone in their journeys. So I felt like if I could reach someone who needed that little boost, that was going to be part of the finish line feeling, but also give them, um, the description of how I achieved mine. Um, and they don't have to do it the same way as me, but, um, you know, 
that's what the story is about is just basically it's almost like a memoir, but it reads like a novel. Um, it's my story of, um, being adopted, foster care, all that. And then up through my growing up years and then going into, um, how I started girls with soul, which is the nonprofit that I started to help kids in this similar situations that, that I went through. You know, Liz, I'm so happy that you brought up men in this discussion of sexual abuse because mm. I feel like it's it's part of the the topic that and I mean first of all the the amount of abuse that women undergo is is not is not talked that is not talked about enough but especially men this is where men get lost in the conversation um one cuz like you said that the the feelings of shame and embarrassment and if you're a, if you're a man and it, especially if it was by a woman like uh, you should have you should want it and it should be okay and you you should feel proud that something like that uh happened to you uh but but then if if it's by another man the confusion that comes with that and et cetera et cetera um do you do you know the numbers on men versus women in sexual abuse um i don't know them exactly but i think for for kids, like kids under 18, um, it, it's one out of four for women and maybe, um, I think it's one out of seven or something like that for guys. It's not quite as prevalent, but it's definitely enough to, to be staggering, I think. Um, but you have to remember too, like you just said, they don't come forward as often as women do. And even the women's numbers are lower than they would be because people don't um, disclose. But guys are going to be even more. Um, the, the numbers would be skewed because they're not going to come forward and say that they've been abused. Um, I actually have uh, a friend who has come to programs with me when I do Girls with Soul programs with the girls who's a guy and he has been, um, raped before and it was extremely cathartic for him. He wanted to come and tell his story to the kids, um, because he's never said it out loud to anyone before. And it was just amazing to have him, you know, I mean, he broke down in tears. They were crying. He was crying, but it was amazing for everybody because they, you know, this guy doesn't look like I don't know. You know, I think the guy, the typical man is afraid to come forward because they think, you know, oh, people will think I'm gay or people will think this or think that. And I don't know what they're, they're afraid to admit it, but, um, he told his story and it was just really a, a beautiful thing that, you know, he was admitting it. They were asking him questions. Um, they weren't afraid to tell their story because they thought, well, shit, if he can, then I sure can. Um, it was just a really amazing uh, session that we had that day because he's come to two two um, locations and both of the kid sets of kids are in residential treatment. So they're at a really um, uh, high level of um, emotional disturbance. And for someone to come out and tell their share that deepest secret with them um, means a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, guys don't come forward and it. It's it's important to include them in the conversation. Yeah, it, it's, so, it's so scary and terrifying. I want to backtrack just a little bit. You know, as a as a kid uh, going through that and, and now being an adult, um, what was your relationship with your parents? Was there was there anger or not relationship, but the feeling was there anger towards them? What was there? Um, uh, resentment, pain, or whether did you not blame them at all? Um, well, it, since it was my next door neighbor, um, and it started when I was a kid, he, he started raping me when I was eight and that went on for about a year. Um, I had this little assignment pad. Now you said old, you're old school, right? But I don't know if you're quite as old school as I am, but, um, I'm sure you know who Garfield is. The oh cat. yeah. Oh, that's my <laughs> boy right there with the spaghetti. Come on now. Right. Come on. Right. Lazy on a cat. That's my boy. I know. I always loved Garfield when I was a kid and he had a teddy bear named Pookie. 
um, that he used to keep like in a little shoebox with a blanket. I don't know if you, I don't know why I was like so obsessed with this. Oh yeah. I didn't know that detail. Yeah. You, you way yeah. up in there, you spying on them. I was, well, I mean, so I loved Pookie probably even more than Garfield and he was on my assignment pad that I kept at home and I would write stuff down and you were like, did you say a master's in psychology or psychiatry? Or? Uh, psychology. Yes. Okay. Um, so, you know, obviously it's, you don't even have to be psych 101. I don't think to know that a kid needs to get stuff out in some way. And usually it's pictures or writing or whatever. So I had this pooky assignment pad and I would write stuff in there usually in a comical way. Cause that's how I dealt with it. I would make fun of people. Um, but I wrote what the neighbor was doing in it and then I put it in my dresser. Um, when I went to school and like any good parent, my mom would rifle through my shit while I was at school. So one day I was that kid that I got kicked out of everything. I was always in trouble. I got kicked out my first day of kindergarten actually for punching a kid in the face <laughs> for no reason. I, I just had, a I had quite an explosive, um, personality. We'll just put it that way. So when that used properly, it would just go to to bad, um, places. And so I was always in trouble. We'll just put it that way. So when I walked in the door and my mom was visibly pissed at me, um, I was just like, whatever, like what I do now, but she pulled out Garfield and Pookie. And I was like, okay, now shit's hitting the fan because all of the reasons I was hiding it from her, like came all of a sudden just came to fruition. And I was like, Oh, and that's exactly why I didn't tell you any of this shit. And I was only nine years old. So she made me go up into my room and sat me on the bed and asked me three questions. Um, well, she asked me two questions and one was a statement. One, she said, um, did this really happen? So she was basically telling me I was lying. Um, I said, yes. Second thing was, why did you write it down? Was it that important to you? So that's a doozy right there. You can just, you know, go with that one. And then the third one uh, was just a statement. And it was, we're not going to tell anybody. If your dad finds out, he'll kill him. Uh, He'll go to jail and it'll be your fault that your dad's in jail. And she walked out of my room and she never talked about it ever again. So it's a long way to answer your question, but... I grew up not having issues with my dad. Nobody knew except for me, my neighbor, and my mom. And I had major issues. I had anger, resentment. I had explosive, um, scary, like emotional outbursts that would fucking scare a, like a drill sergeant. But um, everyone just thought I was crazy or the bad kid or whatever. They, we didn't, they didn't have PTSD back then as a diagnosis and nobody even knew to begin with anyways. So I did have a lot of issues with my mom and I ended up forgiving her, um, you know, to the point where, I mean, I had a relationship with her and I was civil with her and everything. But, um, to be honest, um, do, did I, my mom is not alive anymore. She just died this past fall, but did I love her? Not as much as I probably should have because I resented her for never doing anything to help me. So I had no problems with my dad or, or my, I had a good family. I, you know, to be honest with you, I was really lucky in that regard. I I had a great upbringing. I was in four foster homes before they adopted me and I was abused in all four of the homes and I was a pain in the ass. (laughs) So, um, I have to say that I had a, I had a good life other than, what my mom did or what my neighbor did. And I paid for it dearly for a very long time. I had a lot of problems, issues, but I, that's the whole point of finish line feeling. If it's, you know, you work, you keep moving forward, moving forward is the key. You got to find out what gets you to keep doing that. So I'm, I'm going to imagine when you, when you say, you you know, you had more problems, there, there was drugs and alcohol. We don't have to go into detail about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm assuming that that was part of the acting out. Yeah, it was a huge part of it. I mean, I, I would never say I was an addict or anything like that, but I definitely high risk behavior, um, involving everything, um, and very promiscuous, just very, um, just, I don't care. I had a problem with authority, 
you know, I just was never a rule fowler anyways, but then on top of it, then I just had that anger and it was so explosive that, you know, almost even to the point of ridiculousness in my twenties. Like if I was at, you know, you're at the gym and they have the little sign that says 30 minute limit on the treadmill. And if I'm on there 31 minutes and somebody walked up to me and said something to me, I, you never know. I went, I would at that point in my life would have gone off on them for, you know, telling me to get off the treadmill or whatever, like just stupid stuff like that where I'd go ballistic on somebody for basically no reason. No, no, I get that. 31 minutes, how dare you approach me? You give me, there's a grace window. Everybody know there's a grace period for everything of five to ten minutes. That get me going anyway. Yeah. Flip the F out. (laughs) As you should. You know I'm on a cool, you know a cool down takes five minutes. You better back up. Back to oh no, I got your back on that one, Liz. Well, I, I well, wish somebody would come up on me on. I started putting my towel over the the clock so no one could see how long I've been on it. Ooh, I wish some oh I'm I'm angry. Oh, I want to go to the gym right now. I just want to be <laughs> I want to be like that gym police just walking around. I just like yelling at people for <laughs> you know. Like, and who, I don't know. I just feel like, go away, go do something else. Yeah, you know? all, all this equipment up in here and you 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 sweating me over the, that seat. But those are people who probably not in great, like people who are, who can't be flexible and adaptive and, 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 and find like that, that's, that, that speaks to their mindset. That's not, that's no bueno right there. That's no bueno. I agree. But I should be able as an adult, I mean, I was maybe at that <laughs> point in my life, 25, 24 years old, I should have been able to be like a normal person and handling it like, oh, you know, I'm just cooling down or, you know, maybe you could do something else or talk like a normal person. But instead I would be like, I go off, you know, and that's ridiculous. There's no need for that. So yeah, because you probably look back and realize like you you missed out on some uh, romantic uh, opportunities too. (laughs) <laughs> why because i was biting people's heads off yeah well you know I, I just imagine like you know i mean even for myself i've had moments where i just wasn't in the, in the best mood and i said something sideways to somebody and then i was like oh man she was hot i kind of i liked it. like what god damn it you know like <laughs> <laughs> like i wish i had to you know said that or did that or, or whatever and and i wonder like if you look back and was like hold on god damn it like <laughs> oh that one could have yeah, been awesome. yeah <laughs> Damn. Could have been a future baby daddy right there, you know? <laughs> exactly. You might have actually saved yourself. <laughs> um, I think it was more so I would do it to people that I was in a relationship already with where I mean, I would just bite their heads off or treat them like crap or just walk away like they were nothing. And they weren't. It wasn't them. It was me. I had so many issues that. I remember one of them came over to my house, my parents' house, and my dad answered the door and he wanted to know why I broke up with them or why I wouldn't talk to him or I don't know, whatever he wanted to know. And he wanted to know from my dad. My dad was like, well, if you want to know, you should probably ask her. And he was like, well, I tried, but she won't talk to me. And I can't figure out what's going in, on inside her head. And my dad said something like, well, if you want to know what's going on, on inside her head, you need to get from her, not from me. And he said to my dad, I don't think a room full of psychiatrists could figure out what's going on in her head. <laughs> and my dad obviously was like, well, <laughs> conversation's over. And he like closed the door on him. But there were a lot of people that I pushed away and, and I was just, I don't know, I, I was, I couldn't handle relationships. I needed to leave people before they left me or I needed to treat them like shit before they did something to me in my mind. So I probably did ruin a lot of great, um, well, future baby, baby daddies. <laughs> so, but that's the way it is. And I, I think that that was all part of my learning and I wasn't ready for that stuff yet. So you know, I, had like, to, I had to work on me first for sure. And that's the whole point of all of this stuff really. Yeah. They you say, have to they, love yourself. Yeah. They say change is, is slow and, and then it's, uh, it's gradual and then it's, and then it's sudden or, or something like that. Meaning like, like when we were taking those baby steps of turning things around, it feels like it's not really happening. And then you just wake up one day and you're like, 
like it feels like you're just a completely different person and your life is on a completely different path, but that's after chipping away at it for so many years. What what were those first baby steps like for you? When like what was what what do you think that that, that moment of inception of I got to turn this around? They were excruciating. I mean, when I think it was obviously this would be <laughs> the biggest sign that it needed to happen was, um, I mean, just ridiculous stuff. I I've done Ironman five times. I don't know if you know what Ironman is, but, um, well, the first one I did, the guy I was dating, oh my God, it's such a long story, but the guy I was dating at the time, um, that he was doing it too. And we had a tumultuous relationship. It was horrible, just awful up and down, up and down. And I would, we would break up all the time. And he, we were doing the Ironman in Florida and I was in the airport fighting with him on the phone, pay phone, of course, cause this was like in, you know, dinosaur era. Um, and he proposed to me over the phone on the pay phone in the airport. And I said, yes, again, ridiculous stuff, like crazy stupid stuff. Um, and then when we got there, there was a horrible storm and there were three and a half foot, um, waves in the lake and he got pulled out of the swim in the first, um, I don't know, like 500 yards of the swim. And he talked them into the officials into letting him continue on with the race. Um, so because his fiance is out there and he wants to, we trained together and he, he wanted to finish with me and do all this stuff or whatever. So he, this is a silly, I don't, it's so stupid. So I come in and he's there and I'm like, what are you doing here? Cause I know he's not a very good swimmer. And he's like, Oh, they pulled me out of the water, but they said that I could stay with you. So I was waiting for you so we could bike together. And he took off on me on the bike. <laughs> And then he told everybody that he beat me in the Ironman, but he didn't finish. So anyway, so this is the person who I was supposedly going to be married to. And we got into all these fights and then I broke, we broke up and then he broke into my apartment and beat me up. And then I tried to kill myself. So it was like this terrible roller coaster stemming from the fact that I had such low self-esteem that I would pick these people because I didn't think I deserved any better. And then I just thought, well, I'm not going to be able to continue on with this life in general. Um, and I was so angry and hated myself so much. I felt so worthless and I OD'd on sleeping pills and alcohol and I got my stomach pump. It was four days before Christmas And that was when I was, I mean, at the peak of hopelessness. And that was when I was like, you know, I've, I have got to, um, find out how I can be a different person. Like, this isn't me. I, I, there was always a voice deep down inside of me that I'm like, I'm an athlete. I'm smart. I mean, I knew I had good qualities. I just, they were so buried down deep and I hated myself so much, but I thought if I work away at it, if I do something to help myself be a better person, I can do this. And that was when I started chipping away, like literally working on myself every single day and going to therapy and everything else. I mean, I didn't do it alone, but it took a really long time. So that's like 25 years. I was 25 years old, probably till I was about 30 ish when I had my son. And, um, that's when I feel like my life like completely turned around and I was that life, uh, with that crazy guy and all the other stuff I was doing and trying to kill myself, all this stuff was like a different person. It was another life. It was literally a book closed and put on a shelf. It's still part of me and I'm not ashamed of it. Um, and it makes me who I am but it's not me anymore. And people who meet me now are like, I can't even believe that. Like they can't even picture me that way. Cause I'm too positive. I'm not, I'm crazy in all the same ways, but they're good ones now <laughs> instead of bad or explosive in bad ways. I'm explosive in good ways. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I want to pick, I want to 
pick apart those first few steps a little bit more? Because I think yep. it's so important. I think the hardest part for most people is what's my first step? How do I slowly pick myself up? And I, I want to, you, you're, you're in the hospital. You had your stomach mm-hmm. pumped. Mm-hmm. And w- what are some of the decisions you, what, is, what did you do in there that, that uh, before you even left the hospital that, that started the, the, the ship turning around in a different direction? Oh gosh. Well, I didn't, it was like the thought process of how are people going to look at me now, including, you know, my family members, but then it, because it was almost Christmas, um, the doctor on staff wasn't in and I had to wait for him to come to talk to me and see if I was someone that needed to be committed or if he was going to let me go or like, it was basically up to him what was going to happen next. And that was like the hardest part was sitting there waiting for him and thinking, actually it was like picturing him at home with his kids. I I don't know this person. I don't know if he had kids or anything, but that's what I was doing. I was analyzing his family life. Like he's probably trying to have hot chocolate with his kids and he's got to come and deal with my bullshit now. Um, but that was where I was like, I'm sitting in the hospital bed and I've got charcoal all down the front of my hospital gown. The freaking tube is killing my throat because it's still stuck up into my nose and down into my throat. And I'm just like, that's, that's when I'm telling myself that I cannot be this person and I'm not this person. And it's not that that's like being in that situation doesn't make you a bad person, but I knew I, I could move forward. I knew I could be a strong person because I've, I've always pulled out like the craziest strength in like times that most people wouldn't. So I knew that that was when I started to have to work on it and move forward. It's just, I don't know. It it was scary for me to be there because I told my brother specifically not to tell my parents and I could hear them. I heard the ding of the elevator and I heard the footsteps coming towards the room and I could hear my dad talking and I'm like, God damn it. The whole point was I didn't want them to know I was in there, but, um, that was, I mean, I guess that's part of it too. You have to accept that you did a certain thing or you've acted a certain way. And I think owning it is part of the foundation that you need to build, um, to find out who you are and what's motivating you to do the things you're doing. Cause that's the only way you're going to change them. You know, I, I like that you said it was scary to be there. Yeah, it was. That's enough to make you want to change. I'll tell you that. And you know what else? Um, when you're in the hospital, because I've had children and I've been in the hospital for things that are different scenarios, and it's a whole different ball game than when you're in there for that reason. Because I, the the staff don't treat you quite as nicely. It it probably sounds terrible or maybe I don't know what, but like they're a little like, I don't know. It it was kind of like they're, they're rougher with you or they're angry with you for the reason why you're in there is how I felt at the time, whether or not it was the truth. I don't know, but I felt like they were really harsh with me. Um, it, and that was part of the scariness too. Like the, everything seemed brighter and scarier and colder, meaning the people, the temperature in the room, everything was cold. And just, I don't know, you just, you're not watching it. It's funny because we were, this is going to be full circle in a way. We were talking in the beginning about how you don't like scary movies and all that stuff. But I honestly, I think maybe part of the reason why I like them is because it's not real. And when I, I don't like to watch videos. My husband watches a lot of videos because I don't like, like sometimes he'll see like maybe a dog suffering, but then he'll be like, but it's a good ending. Look, he got a home and someone was nice to him. I'm like, I can't see the suffering though. Cause I know it's real. So I like to watch movies that are scary because they're not, it's fake and it's somebody else's imagination. Um, but I felt all of those things intensified and they were very real and, it wasn't a movie. It was my life. And that's what makes it scary. <laughs> and, 
what's you know, and what's fascinating too is you, you know you're there. Your your father comes in. You you have to own up to to what you've done. And uh, what is what's the next step for you? You leave there, and and, and can you go through the next twenty four hours of, of, of journaling? I, I hate to pick this apart, but I, I think that a lot of people who who think about it, um, they and have attempted. The, the 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 steps after how you pull mm-hmm. yourself out like that that's it's, it's glossed over a, a lot of people go well yeah I went to therapy and I did but there's so many steps in between the being in a hospital and then getting to therapy that's a long window because sometimes the therapist can't see you for another week or two weeks or mm-hmm. a month and that space in between is so critical uh, can you walk us a little bit more through that and 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 how you dealt with those emotions and feelings? Um, yeah, it, well, I, I was unfortunately living with that guy at the time, and my dad um, basically made all the arrangements and decisions for me. Again, I'm an I'm an adult woman, um, but I wasn't necessarily treated like one at the time when I was in the hospital still, he made the decision that, you know, you got, you're moving out of there. So I moved in with my brother and my things were actually moved for me while I was still there. Um, I got out and my stuff was all at my brother's house. So I was all of a sudden now a roommate of my brother and his wife and their newborn daughter. And, and they had a son also at the time. So it was awkward for me because I was now, made to, in my mind, I felt like I was a burden and a piece of crap because I was shoved into my brother's, um, house, whether he wanted it or not. Cause my dad said, you're going to, you know, watch out for your sister or whatever. So that was just in a way like an added burden. But I think, um, the days after that, I mean, were like Christmas and holidays and everyone's just looking at me and walking on eggshells around me and, I felt like an alien being basically like I wasn't even in my body. I was just kind of just going through the motions. Um, and then I just started thinking about different ways that I could try to feel normal. Um, because you just do not feel normal. Nothing feels normal. Everyone's staring at you. Um, people are afraid of you <laughs> cause that's now you're, now you're like a whack in their mind. You're a wackadoo. Um, And for me to feel normal or to feel healthy or feel good, uh, I need to work out. Like I need to swim or I need to run or whatever. So I just started like, even though I still had the scratchy throat from the tube and I still had a lot of fear and I still had a lot of self-loathing, you know, I felt worthless. Um, I just had to find a way to get lost in the things that that make me feel good or something that is hard to do, but again, comes with, um, a sense of achievement so that I could feel better about myself, um, and, and build courage. So I just started getting in the pool. I would get up early and go swimming. Um, I got an extra job. I was a waitress staying as busy as you can, um, was important for me anyways. And then just basically, designing and constructing, you know, a a more solid foundation so that I could change. And then I started thinking about the, what self-awareness was. And I was like, this is something I obviously thought I had. Everybody thinks they know themselves. I mean, duh, it's you. How do you not know yourself? But I, as a people pleaser, I was obviously doing things that I thought were for me or that I thought made me happy, but I was trying to please others. So once I discovered the things that I needed to be consistent and resilient um, for myself, that's when things started changing. But it it takes a minute to really focus on it. And you have to focus on it every day. And I also had to think about the positive things in my life, too. And that was another change that had to be made immediately. Because I would ruminate and think about things that you know, you basically could, let's say you have 5,000 friends on Facebook and one person unfriends you and you're so fucking bent out of shape because you've lost one friend, but you have 4,999 other friends. Why do you care? 
I was that person. I mean, we didn't have Facebook back then. That's a stupid example, but um, basically finding gratitude um, in simple things was a, a good first step in those days after. That was tough. You know, I, I love that you, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing the, the details of that. I, I, I imagine that is uh, a little tough and jarring. Uh, I haven't really thought about it to that degree in a while. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's, uh, I'm literally an open book, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, be, you know, and because like for, for people who might have someone in their life and they're trying to figure out how do I get them back on their feet and how do I be of service and, 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 and bring them back into the fold. And, and so, you know, it's, it's helpful to, to, to hear what your father and the role that he played and, 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 and bringing it to a different environment. But it's also fascinating to explore that feeling of, you know, now you're at your brother's and you feel like a burden. It's like like he's married with kids and and now he kind of has to, you know, take care of you and think about you. And, um, and you don't feel like you belong. And, and like all these these uh, these feelings drudge up that 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 could lead one right back to where you were. Uh, and, and yet you you found a way to slowly find the courage to, to find the positivity to, to find, I love that you said consistency because I think a lot of people will, will go to things that like a, a, a two week program, three week <laughs> retreat, uh, you know, like yeah. we're, we're all trying to look for the quick fix. And, yeah. and you said, cons- like, what can I you said, I love that you didn't even say, you said uh, design and construct a, a, a change in your life. Like, like who, who talks like that, first of all? But um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I obviously thought about it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have to. <laughs> like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. And if you only do it for a week, it's not going to it's not going to stick. It's like a practice. It's a, it's a, and so, uh, you know, let's fast forward a little bit. What's your practice now to, to keep you feeling grounded and, and, and consistent? Like what's your, what's your daily practice or weekly or monthly? You know, it's very similar as far as, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, running and I, I, I've run a marathon in all 50 States and, Um, I have this goal. I think it's really important to set goals that are important to you. Obviously don't pick running if you hate running, (laughs) but for me, I love it. I'm like the village idiot that escaped for some reason when I run. And, um, so doing that is very important being, staying fit. You know, I, I lift weights and all that stuff, but, um, I love, I love animals, animals and kids make me happy. So I spend as much time as I can with both of those. Um, doing my girls with soul programs is super important to keep me grounded. Um, one, because yeah, I love, I mean, I just love the kids. They're amazing. But, um, you know, to be able to see a change in them, if they have, you know, they're in a place where I used to be and I'm able to get them out of it faster than it took me. Um, that's an amazing feeling. So I just, that keeps me grounded as well. So does writing and spending time with my family and stuff like that. But it's really important to take that time for yourself, like to, to feel like you're not a whole person, um, is I think really easy these days, but people are focusing maybe too much on one, but it, it really has to be mind, body and soul, um, to be whole. So if you're only, it's kind of like diet and exercise. If you're only dieting, you're, it's not going to be the same. You have to work out as well, but you can't only work out. You kind of have to do it all encompassing. So what's going to feed your soul? What are the, you know, I love art, um, whatever. So what's going to make you a healthier person in your mind and your body? Well, obviously getting outside, you need to get outside. You have to be in the air and the sun and exercise. You don't have to run a marathon by any stretch, but moving your body is super important for health um, and, and your head. So those are all the things that I do. I'm always making sure that 
um, when I get to a bad place, cause I still do, it's not, that's the whole point. When I say it's a practice, it, it's not a hundred percent. It's something you always have to, um, deal with. It's not like you're healed. I'm healed. I can say that I'm healed, but it, it's, um, it's something that you have to continue to, to think about, um, in a positive way, not a negative way. Because if you forget about it, then it'll come back and sneak up on you and bang you over the head and you don't want that. So I always have to make sure that I'm thinking that I'm in a good place. And if I feel like I'm not, then what can I do to get back there again? And it's okay. So beating yourself up over it or feeling overwhelmed and saying, well, fuck it, I'll just give up is is never the answer. Um, It's just really important to start from the beginning, from the ground up and always work forward from there. You know, I like that idea of just starting from the beginning and, and just forgetting about everything that's happened. I mean, it's easy to say forget about everything that's happened in the past, but to let go of what's happened in the past and look at where you are now and then just build from there mm-hmm. uh, versus this regret and holding on to and, and anger about the... You said you have two kids, right? Yeah. And then are you married? Yes. So how did you how did you learn... To me, it would seem like, you know, after under, you know, going through something like that, trust would I would imagine would be a huge uh, challenge for you. How did you learn how to trust? And then and most importantly, how did you learn how to communicate uh, within a relationship and, and with a significant other? Boundaries had to be another thing. Yeah, well, I guess, I, you know, part of it is that I got older and a little bit, um, more mellow, but they, um, I, I, I was, I've been married twice. So my first husband, I married two weeks after I met him. <laughs> um, as you should while wait, <laughs> life is short. This COVID is real life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who has time for, you know, long courtships and all that bullshit. So I met him at a Halloween party and we got married two weeks later in Vegas. Um, and so that's who I had my son with. And um, we were married for two years and got divorced when my son was about 12 months old, maybe 13 months old. And um, he was an alcoholic, so he's no, no longer alive either. He died when he was 44 from alcoholism. And that's something that you don't know when you marry somebody two weeks in. But also, you know, again, my communication probably wasn't the greatest. And I was in a hurry to out, um, I don't know, just to feel like a normal person and show the world that I was normal. And in order to do that, I needed to be married, I guess, I thought. I don't know. But um, so, yeah. That that was what it was. It was a good learning experience as far as um, what I didn't want. And then I ended up meeting my husband now. We've been married 20, almost 20 years um, in during a marathon. <laughs> and he's not really necessarily like what you would call a runner. It, um, that was his first one that he ever did. And he never did one ever again which I could probably take either as a compliment or an insult, depending how you look at it. Like, shit, I better not do that again. Look what happened last time. But um, we just um, work really well together. And I think it actually anybody else probably would have ran because I wasn't, I didn't trust. So you ask about how did you trust and all that stuff. I had such a hard time with that. That was because you got to remember I had the silly adoption stuff as well. So my trust issues were already screwed up before I was abused and all that stuff anyways. So I don't know. I, it was tough for me and for whatever reason, um, he was always just a really, uh, he was really good about it. So I, I, I have to say it's probably more because of him that it ended up being successful than me. Um, I, I would push away and I would push away and he just wouldn't, he wouldn't, um, stand for the bullshit. He was strong enough to be, 
Um, he wasn't a pushover by any means, but he was soft enough to understand me too. So he wouldn't explode or throw, um, oil on the flames or anything like that, but he wouldn't let me push him around either. And I think I, I like that. Um, so he lets me be who I am, which is also super helpful. I have a lot of space in terms of, you know, like I, travel to do races in other countries or I, you know, I do things all over, um, whenever I want to. And he's just like, go, you're, you're awesome. You kick ass and he does his thing. I do my thing, but it's all good. And we trust each other. That's how we ended up building it. But I have to give him the credit. I I can't, I can't lie. I don't really think it was me. I mean, I've grown and I've probably gotten better, but it was because of him that I did, I think. And I know I'm not one to say things are um, because of other people. I think there, it's always within you, but I don't know. I was, I was a tough one. I, I, I'm not an easy person. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. <laughs> but what, what he, it sounds like he brought out of you the feeling of safety and security that you had been longing for. Yeah, I think that's true. I Nobody else did. They would just fight with me. You know, I'd start the fight because I wanted to, because I wanted them to leave or get mad. And then that way I could say, oh, see, I, I knew that's what you were going to do. Um, but he never did that. I mean, of course he gets mad at me. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But yes. He eventually helped me see that I was it was okay to trust and to feel safe. I love that. It's okay to trust and feel safe. Yep. When you uh, talk, first of all, congratulations on running a marathon in all 50 states. What? Yeah, thanks. I did it in two and a half years. Was so that was, was that like right, so? Okay, I want to I want to dig into this just a little bit. The out of the fifty states, what was what was the easiest that uh, that you thought would be the hardest, and what was the hardest that you thought would be the easiest? Ooh, the easiest that I thought would be the hardest was when I ran marathons back to back days in two different states. And I, and I ran them the same time for, I, did, I think I did like a 412 or something like that on both of them. I thought I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to be able to walk the next day. I'm not even going to be able to do 10 miles, let alone another marathon. And it wasn't that bad. I'm like, holy crap. Who knew? That definitely was the easiest that I thought would be the hardest. And then the hardest that I thought would be the easiest, um, hmm, probably... Not Alaska. Probably Hawaii. I thought it would just be like a pretty beach, like super scenic aloha moment. And it was beastly hot and muggy as all F at like the thing starts at fucking five in the morning, which I hate. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> it starts at 5am and you're already sweating your ass off at 5am. And then you have to run up like a freaking volcano. And it was crazy hard. I, I thought it would be a lot easier. Wait, wait, wait. When I, when I think of running a marathon, I don't think of a marathon starting at noon. I think of a marathon starting at like five, six o'clock in the morning. They don't like, start what? at five generally. I mean, usually they'll start at like maybe eight, oh, seven, gotta, maybe. I mean, I you know, but six or five in the dark. Usually the sun's up at least. Got you, got you. So I yeah, never, I never ran one noon by any stretch. But think about it: like if you got to get up a few hours before a marathon starts so that you can eat and, you know, you got to take care of business. You got to sign the constitution. If you know what I mean, um, that means take a shit. Um, so you have a lot of things that you have to take care of. So you're not going to get up at four o'clock and roll out and be in at the race line on time. So you have to get up pretty damn early. If you're catching a shuttle or a ride or whatever to get to a starting line at five, that's really early. 
So, you know, what, what I love about your, your story and your marriage is that you, you met your husband doing something that you love to do. Like you kept living life. You were setting goals. You, you, were, you, were, you were pushing yourself. And, and that's it. Like you, like you didn't meet him on Tinder or Match.com. No. Like you weren't chasing a guy. You were chasing your goals and your purpose and your mission. And then you met the person that you, you know, or meant to spend the rest of your life with. Crazy, huh? He came up to me and I'm like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. What a cheese dick. <laughs> He's trying to win <laughs> I married him six months later. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Liz, your story is, is remarkable. I love the turnaround. Please tell me about this girl, Girls with Soul program. Oh, sure. Well, it's my nonprofit. I started it in 2009 and soul is spelled S-O-L-E intentionally. So Girls with Soul's mission is to use fitness and wellness programs to empower the minds, bodies, and souls of girls who have experienced any type of abuse or who are at risk. So I bring the programs to the girls directly where they are. Um, they could be in residential treatment centers or juvenile, um, detention centers, schools, churches, wherever. Um, and we spend usually an hour once a week, sometimes an hour and a half and split sort of the program curriculum, um, between the fitness portion or the movement, you know, getting the body moving. We're not grooming them for the Olympics or anything like that, but, we're just trying to expose them to that whole like tapping into the mind body connection and understanding that, oh, and you know, I can actually do healthy things, um, use healthy ways to cope with anger and all of that stuff instead of cutting or drugs and alcohol and all the negative coping mechani- mechanisms. So we do that. And then the second half of the hour is usually spent on, um, more like the what I was talking about earlier about really trying to find your foundation and um, work on self-awareness. So we do a lot of projects and art and guided discussions that are centered around self-esteem building activities and things like that. Um, and they also get running shoes, copies of the books. Um, and if they're allowed to go out, I bring them on either special trips like field trips where we'll go stand up paddle boarding or um, you know, like we'll do indoor climbing, wall climbing, we've done all kinds of different things. Um, even take them to spin classes, different things, things that they wouldn't normally experience is what I like to try to expose them to. Um, and that's basically what the program is. It's, um, building their, I guess their own finish line feeling so that they know, that they can move forward no matter what. And they actually have tools to utilize when they get out, you know, of wherever they are or that they can use in their life forever. And we call it lacing up for a lifetime of achievement. Um, cause you got to lace up, you got to show up and you got to keep moving. And if you have the tools to do it in a healthy way, then you will achieve for a lifetime. I love that. Uh, lacing up for a lifetime of achievement. Uh, being a writer, having written books, do you do you also journal? I haven't in a long time. Um, it's it's the person that I was talking to you about earlier that said he beat me in the Ironman, even though he didn't do it. <laughs> um, can you tell I'm competitive? I'm just funny. Um, he, I used to journal all the time and it was part of my therapy and he, um, stole a few of mine and used them against me. Like would told people what I wrote. I mean, all of the stuff, like just horrendous. I've had really bad experiences with my journals and now it's not that I'm afraid to do them, but I, I only do positive ones. Like I don't use it as a, a way to just like dump um, like my emotions or my thoughts. Um, so they're more like, um, positive journals where I just list, um, things that I'm grateful for or positive thoughts. So I, I guess they're journals, but they're more like a gratitude journal, um, than a mind dump journal. I don't like those anymore. (laughs) And my books have taken the place of those anyway. (laughs) I I completely understand that. I, 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 I've, I'm fortunate that I, I've 
kept I have a lot of journals and I, I haven't had any of those uh, experiences as of yet. You haven't had anybody use them against you. You're so lucky. I, I, I'm completely blessed. But you know what? I'm also uh, I get rid of things uh, like I've had journals and I just like will trash them or burn them or toss mm-hmm. them away. Like when I was finished with them, I kind of had this Zen attitude of uh, what I've completed uh, no longer serves me. And, right. and it was just so I don't I don't I didn't need to keep them. But as I'm getting older, uh, I want to keep them. You know, I like looking. There's something to be said for looking back and seeing how where you've come from or yes. what what you thought was important at that time. That now it's like, what was I thinking? Or that you know, I, I like seeing where I've been and and now where I am. And I think holding on to them is kind of good in that way. Yeah. Uh, I, well, sometimes I, I journal like uh, morning pages, like freestyle, right? And then other days I will just take note of the day. Like I'll just write what happened versus mm. my feelings on uh, what's happened. Sometimes it'll be both. It'll be like, you know, here's here are like 10 things that happened today. And then like I ate breakfast. Oh, you know, I feel a little bloated after. Like it'll be like that, you know, uh, like just the, the feeling attached to each uh uh, time of the day or like if I went running, it's like, oh, my right knee was bothering me a little bit. So just just kind of like uh, this like daily check in of what I did and how it made me feel and, and, and anything I need to address or because, you know, you go through the whole day and you don't realize like how many things you do in a day. Um, right. <laughs> you know, you get to the end and in your head, it just feels like you did one thing. You're like, where did they go? And then you start writing. You're like, holy shit. Like I did all that in one day. That's, in, that's insane. <laughs> I know. Or the thing, like when you have kids and you write down all the things that they do because you think you're going to remember and you don't. You don't. No, not mm-hmm. not even close. Uh, and this is a random question. This is really more for me. Uh, how do like what's your recovery process like after running a marathon? Like what what do you uh, what are you drinking? What are you eating? Like what 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 kind of diet are you on for that for that? Um, I don't really do anything too different. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a vegan or anything like that, but, um, you know, I try to eat pretty clean. Um, but when I'm, uh, the, the recovery process, I'm, it's more about resting my body and not getting back at it too quickly. Um, so I, I definitely take a few days off and I don't do anything. Um, and, uh, proteins are always important to get back in there and, um, electrolytes and stuff like that. But for the most part, rest is the best. Rest is the best. I, I, Liz, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like the listeners should know about, uh, what you're doing or what your part of your story that we left out you think is valuable or any strategies that you learned maybe from therapy that you're like, wow, I'm so glad that I, I did that or anything. I don't think so. I think honestly, the, the gratitude journal and things like that, that keep you focusing on the positive is been probably of all the, th- I mean, I've had enough therapy, um, you know, and I, you could probably understand this. If you have a bad therapist, it's probably worse than no therapy. <laughs> and I've had a couple of really bad ones, but the the best one I've, I've ever had is the one who told me to, to write down, even if it's just like, you know, like you said, I had breakfast today or something, you know, like I was able to sleep or I was, you know, I'm breathing today. Just write three things down every day that are good. Um, and it's amazing to me when I work with the kids that I work with, if I try to get them to think of one thing that's good and they can't. And that's, that's a sad place to be. So everyone has something good that in their lives that they can be grateful for. So that's really, I think the only thing that for me that in, in terms of therapy that has been like the standout. Um, but I think you've covered everything. Do you think that you have? Uh, no, I think we, I think we got it all. I, I, I mean, this, this story is so inspiring and empowering and, I'm glad you're still here with us and, and not just here, but, but engaged and involved and, um, and active and, and not, and, and also sharing your journey and, 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 and reaching back and, and helping those who can't help themselves. It's, it's a very inspiring. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it was so awesome to talk to you, too. You too, Liz. The last question I like to ask and ask this of all my guests, because uh, always imagine that there is someone listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Liz? The sun, the sun always comes out again. You're, it's going to seem really dark and it seems like the answer, but I can 100% tell you from my own personal experience that you won't ever regret not killing yourself. Keep moving forward because the sun will always come back out. Liz Farrow, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, I'm going to put a link to Girls With Soul in the show notes uh, so you can check out Liz. You can you can support. They can donate. Am I right? Is, is there a way to donate to the program? Yes. There's a donate page. Love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we'll have a link to uh, the books. And uh, thank you all for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you you going to group therapy or individual or writing a gratitude journal. Uh, it takes action on your part. It takes choices on your part. And so if, if you need help with that, you go to a counselor, go to a mentor, go, a teacher, your neighbor, uh, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Tell somebody, call an enemy. Even if they give you bad advice, it'll fire you up enough to 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 get up and 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 take some baby steps and and find consistency and lay start laying the groundwork uh, for your future. Uh, Liz Farrell, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you all for tuning in, and let's get to tomorrow together. Bye, Liz. Bye, Leo. Thanks. <laughs>